Section 41 of Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens, The Wooing of Beckfola, Chapter 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jacob Shumway. Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens, The Wooing of Beckfola, Chapter 3. But after some time the moon arose and the wolves went away, for their leader, a sagacious and crafty chief, declared that as long as they remained where they were, the lady would remain where she was, and so, with a hearty curse on trees, the troop departed. Beckfola had pains in her legs from the way she had wrapped them about the branch, but there was no part of her that did not ache, for a lady does not sit with any ease upon a tree. For some time she did not care to come down from the branch, those wolves may return, she said, for their chief is crafty and sagacious, and it is certain, from the look I caught in his eye as he departed, that he would rather taste of me than cat any woman he has met. She looked carefully in every direction to see if one might discover them in hiding. She looked closely and lingeringly at the shadows under distant trees to see if these shadows moved, and she listened on every wind to try if she could distinguish a yap or a yawn or a sneeze. But she saw or heard nothing, and little by little tranquillity crept into her mind, and she began to consider that a danger which is past is a danger that may be neglected. Yet ere she descended she looked again on the world of jet and silver that dozed about her, and she spied a red glimmer among distant trees. "'There is no danger where there is light,' she said, and she thereupon came from the tree and ran in the direction that she had noted." In a spot between three great oaks she came upon a man who was roasting a wild boar over a fire. She saluted this youth and sat beside him, but after the first glance and greeting he did not look at her again, nor did he speak. When the boar was cooked he ate of it, and she had her share. Then he arose from the fire and walked away among the trees. Beckfola followed, feeling ruefully that something new to her experience had arrived. For, she thought, it is usual that young men should not speak to me now that I am the mate of a king, but it is very unusual that young men should not look at me. But if the young man did not look at her, she looked well at him, and what she saw pleased her so much that she had no time for further cogitation, for if Crimthan had been beautiful, this youth was ten times more beautiful. The curls on Crimthan's head had been, indeed, as a benediction to the queen's eye, so that she had eaten the better and slept the sounder for seeing him. But the sight of this youth left her without the desire to eat, and, as for sleep, she dreaded it. For if she closed an eye, she would be robbed of the one delight in time, which was to look at this young man, and not to cease looking at him while her eye could peer or her head could remain upright." They came to an inlet of the sea, all sweet and calm under the round, silver-flooding moon, and the young man, with Beckfulla treading on his heel, stepped into a boat and rowed to a high-jutting, pleasant island. There they went inland towards a vast palace, in which there was no person but themselves alone, and there the young man went to sleep, while Beckfulla sat staring at him until the unavoidable peace pressed down her eyelids and she too slumbered. She was awakened in the morning by a great shout. Come out, Flan! Come out, my heart! The young man leaped from his couch, girded on his harness, and strode out. 
Three young men met him, each in battle harness, and these four advanced to meet four other men who awaited them at a little distance on the lawn. Then these two sets of four fought together with every warlike courtesy, but with every warlike severity, and at the end of that combat there was but one man standing, and the other seven lay tossed in death. Becfolis spoke to the youth. Your combat has indeed been gallant, she said. Alas, he replied, if it has been a gallant deed, it has not been a good one, for my three brothers are dead, and my four nephews are dead. Ah, me, cried Becfella, why did you fight that fight? For the lordship of this island, the isle of Fedach, son of Dali. But, although Becfella was moved and horrified by this battle, it was in another direction that her interest lay. Therefore she soon asked the question which lay next her heart. Why would you not speak to me or look at me? Until I have won the kingship of this land from all claimants, I am no match for the mate of the High King of Ireland, he replied, and that reply was like balms the heart of Becfola. What shall I do? she inquired radiantly. Return to your home, he counseled. I will escort you there with your maid, for she is not really dead, and when I have won my lordship, I will go seek you in Tara. You will surely come, she insisted. By my hand, quoth he, I will come. These three returned then, and at the end of a day and a night, they saw far off the mighty roofs of Tara massed in the morning haze. The young man left them, and with many a backward look and with dragging, reluctant feet, Becfola crossed the threshold of the palace, wondering what she should say to Dermot and how she could account for an absence of three days' duration. End of chapter 3